Church family, it's another Sunday morning and I'm excited to bring you a word from the Lord. The word says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we can celebrate the reading, the meditating, the preaching, the singing of God's word. And it's just so good to be with you on this Sunday morning and uplift the Lord's last will and testament. But before we get into this preached word uh, for this Sunday morning, there's a couple of things that I just want to make you aware of. There's a couple of great things that are happening in the life of the church here at New Morning Light Baptist Church. First and foremost, I want to remind you all that the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we have our food pantry. Our food pantry distributes food from our rock house. So you can come to the church, you'll see the rock house right next door, and you can pick up some food. So if you know somebody that may be in need, if you're in need, don't be shamed. It's okay. You can come and get some food from our food pantry. We are delighted to distribute that and make sure you have that. So I want you to spread the word about that. Also, on our marquee outside, we have motivational quotes that we put up there. Some of you all that have driven by the church, you'll see on the marquee the different motivational quotes we have up there. Oftentimes, they're from scripture or they're reflections from things that God has done. Our most recent one came from Sister Callahan. That's Tawana Callahan. And she put or sent in for the marquee, renew your mind in Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's an example of a short to the point message you can put on the marquee. Now don't send something in that's a full sermon. We can only get about four or five lines up there. This is not your opportunity to preach on the marquee. So just send a little short message if you want your message put up on the marquee. We'll put it out on social media. I'll say something about it during the service, but we just want to uplift the community through encouraging words. And you can we can see that on our marquee. Also, something I'm very excited about is our Robert and Sharon Hodo book scholarship. And we have done that for the second year this year, and we are doing it this uh, this coming year or this year right now and I'm so excited that we're able to present that so if you know anybody that is in school that has just graduated from high school looking to go to college or going to anyone that's going to graduate school any of those different schools um, you can get or, or send them the information to receive one year of their books being paid for now this is on, isn't only for college this is for trade school this is for getting your associates whatever schooling outside of high school we will compensate or cover the cost of your book. So there's some more stipulations and guidelines behind that. So just send us an email or reach out to us and we'll make sure you get that information. But these are some of the great things happening in the life of the church. And I'm so excited for you all to be a part of it and for our church to provide these resources. But nonetheless, there's a word from the Lord this Sunday. And today's message comes from Mark chapter 16 verses 14 and 15 that's mark chapter 16 verses 14 and 15. i'm coming out of the csb and that is the christian standard bible normally i preach out of the nrsv which is the new revised standard version but sometimes I'll switch it up based off of how the translations read. Brothers and sisters, it's always good to have many different translations of the Bible, which gives you a different perspective of how the text has been broken down, right? So we're coming from Mark chapter 16, 
verses 14 and 15. You know how I like to do in true new morning like fashion. I'm going to read the scripture. And I might ask you to say a couple of words. Don't be ashamed. Say them out loud in your home. The text reads, later he appeared to the, oh, I'm sorry, later he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. Somebody say reclining. He rebuked their unbelief. Somebody say rebuke. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Somebody say my Lord. Then he said to them, go to all the world. That's not some of the world to all the world and preach the gospel. The what? The gospel to all creation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Brothers and sisters, very recently, or I should say well, a couple of months ago, I purchased a record player. Now, record players, as some of you all may know, aren't CD players or Bluetooth players. They're specific types of apparatus that play albums, right? And after moving into my new apartment, I wanted to, 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 to have something that was different in there, something that I could listen to music on in a non-traditional way. So I bought this record player. And along with this record player, I bought a couple of albums. Now, my version of old school is, is getting some Tupac and some Lauryn Hill, you know, and, and, and I got some of those artists and I thought I was doing something. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I just bought a record player. And she was saying, well, your dad has some old albums downstairs. You, you, you should go and look at them. So I went downstairs and my little collection of just two to three albums turned quickly to 30 to 40 albums because my father downstairs had all of these different albums ranging from Deborah Laws to Asford and Simpson to Curtis Mayfield to Fleetwood Mac to Marvin Gaye to Diana Ross to all of the different artists that some of you all are very familiar with. And I was so excited to have these records. My little collection of two to three records has, has now evolved to about 30 to 40 records. I had a whole crate I was able to leave with brothers and sisters. And, and, and when I got home, I, 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 I had never used a record player before, so all I thought I had to do was just turn it on and just put the, the record on the record player. And brothers and sisters, I realized that it's a little more to it than that. There's all types of knobs and all types of little, little things you have to do to make sure the needle is right in the right position. And, and when I put the record player, the record, on the record player, I saw little knobs on the side. The knobs said 33, 45, and 78. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but I, I just thought it just adjusted the speed. So, so, so first I had it on 33. Now, mind you, I got the big record on the record player, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of slow. Then I went to 45. I was like, oh, that's a little bit better. Then I went to, 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 to what's the other one? 78, and then it started sounding good, and I just would switch it back every now and then just to play with the way the different sounds sounded. But brothers and sisters, I told my mother that, and she said, if you don't watch out, you're going to tear that needle up playing with the records that way. And brothers and sisters, it helped me realize that this was a completely different era of music and listening to music than what I'm used to. Brothers and sisters, I just took so much pride in being able to hear how artists from yesteryear, artists that were, are now seasoned saints, and some of them have passed on, talked about a concept of love. 
brothers and sisters listening to Deborah Laws talk about uh, in her song Very Special or listening to Stephanie Mills or listening to Marvin Gaye, all of these people talked about love in a way that I don't hear about in music today. And brothers and sisters, it was so exciting to just hear the way they spoke about love, spoke about heartache, spoke about courting somebody in a way that just, just, just preserved this aspect of love. But it wasn't until I got to this one record where the words really stood out to me. And this record was by a guy named Bobby Caldwell. And Bobby said something along the lines, he said, what you won't do, do for love. He said, you tried everything, but you won't give up. He said, in my world is only you. He said, make me do for love what I wouldn't do. See, I, I like this part right here. He said, my friends wonder what is wrong with me, but I'm in a daze for your love. You see, and it, 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 this right here is a really good part. I, I, I had to do my head on it. He said, I came back to let you know I got a thing for you and I can't let go. Now, brothers and sisters, that was Bobby Caldwell probably talking about a relationship or somebody that he was involved with. But brothers and sisters, I couldn't help but see the parallel between the love that Bobby was talking about and the love that God has for creation. I couldn't help but see and notice that I realized God has that same relationship with humanity and how it seems as though he constantly seeks us in spite of us not necessarily seeking him the same way. Brothers and sisters, can't you see in the lyrics that God has done a lot for love? It made me think of what God has done for love. It made me think of how he's tried everything, but he won't give up. It made me think of how in God's world is only you. It made me think of how he's died on the cross and came back to let us know that he has a thing for you and he can't let go. Brothers and sisters, it makes me wonder what type of love is this that God has for his creation. God puts up with our unfaithfulness. God puts up with our complaining. God puts up with our inconsistency. God puts up with our treachery. What kind of love is this Brothers and sisters, you see, God created the earth, put plants and animals on the earth, then gave man dominion over the earth only for man to betray him and seek more power and knowledge. He sent his son to show us how to live and die for our sins only for us to use him, betray him, and not believe he resurrected from the grave. Brothers and sisters, Mark 16 shows us Jesus' return was not as expected. Brothers and sisters, Mark 16 shows us when Jesus returned, no one is expecting him. He's gone from being praised on Palm Sunday, people rejecting him and then killing him, on Good Friday, now he's resurrected from the grave, returns, and no one is expecting him. 
The text says, at verse 14, it says, Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. Oh, they were good and relaxed. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Brothers and sisters, what kind of love is this? That no matter how we reject God, no matter how we forget about what God has done for us, God still accepts us. I have to ask you the question, can you seek God the way God seeks you? Can you love God the way God loves you? Can you show love for God's creation and give God's creation a second chance? Unconditional love the way God has given you many chances and shown you unconditional love. The prophetess, Lauren Hill, she said, tell me who I have to be to get some reciprocity. No one loves you more than me and no one ever will. Brothers and sisters, God loves you in spite of you. God loves us in spite of our sin. God loves us in spite of our unfaithfulness and we shouldn't take advantage of that. We shouldn't just let that love fall by the wayside, but we should be charged and convicted and invigorated with the fact that our Lord and Savior cares for us. God's love teaches us how to love unconditionally and not on condition. You see, the world and our life experiences teach us how to love on condition. But the gospel message, remember gospel means good news. The gospel message is one of unconditional love. You see, if you learn nothing else about the Bible and the resurrection, know that God's love is unconditional. This makes me think of the Swiss theologian Karl Barth. Karl Barth is one of the many theologians that we had to study in seminary along with Paul Tillich and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some of those great theologians that we would have to read about and we would, we would have to read their many works and, and, and come up with our own theories based off of things they said. And one of the very complex things that I struggled over that Karl Barth said about love is that faith is all in the presence of the divine incognito. It is the love of God that is aware of the qualitative difference between God and man and God in the world. Oh yes, that's the, that's the type of complex theological, eschatological understanding of how deep of a thinker that Karl Barth was. You see, Karl Barth wrote several commentaries, wrote several different texts about different passages of scripture in the Bible. He wrote several books on theology. He even wrote a five-volume summa, which he didn't completely com complete, called Church Dogmatics. 
And in this five-volume summa called Church Dogmatics, he breaks down the doctrine of the Word of God, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of reconciliation. And he didn't quite finish the last one, which would have been the doctrine of redemption. And brothers and sisters, before Karl Barth passed away, he was interviewed. One of the interviewers asked him, they said, you've written numerous works. You've used hundreds of thousands of words to describe God, to analyze God, to break down theology and, and doctrine. But could you just sum up in a few words all that you understand God to be? Karl Barth thought for a minute, and he looked, and he hummed out a little tune, and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said, it didn't matter all of his schooling, all of the things that he had written, his PhDs, his, 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 his pupils that he had poured into with all of this doctrine about eschatological uh, approach to the text and, and all of these things, understanding the exegesis and eisegesis of the Bible. He said it all could be summed up in the Old and New Testament to a few words. And that's Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Maybe that's too simple for you. It reminds me of Bobby Caldwell. What you won't do, do for love. The fact that God has tried everything, but he won't give up. That in his world is only you. And he'll do things for love that even you wouldn't do. Brothers and sisters, I... Just want you to understand this, 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 this foundational aspect of love for God, this unconditional aspect of love for God, that if we want to learn how to love, all we have to do is examine God in the text. You see, last week, we followed Jesus from the cross to the grave and from the grave to being resurrected and from being resurrected, we discussed last week these two men on the road to Emmaus and how distraught they were. We, 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 we talked about discouragement and how these two men, one of them named was Cleophas, how they were so forlorn by the death of Jesus and the fact that his body wasn't in the tomb, that, that they're walking along this road and a man comes up to them and this man actually is Jesus, but they're so forlorn that they can't even see that it's Jesus. And they describe to Jesus the very things that happened to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this just goes to show how, 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 how much we or how we can be so caught up on the things of life that we can't even see how God is working in our life. Brothers and sisters, they weren't expecting him to come back. He didn't receive this, this resounding applause when he came out of the grave. People weren't waiting and lined up like how they were lined up on Palm Sunday. No one was there expecting him to return. But everyone was expecting it to be over. And brothers and sisters, this week we are looking at 
the culmination of events after the cross and how these events speak to God's unconditional love. You see, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is praised, killed, then forgotten. Oh, I'm not talking about they just for forgot about him altogether. I'm, I'm saying they forgot the promise that he told them. He told them that he would return. He told them that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And brothers and sisters, some of them even quoted back to him, I know you're the Messiah. I know the Messiah lives. I know you'll rise again. You know, some of them will finish his sentences before he even started them. And brothers and sisters, now that he's dead, they forgot. You see, the irony of the cross and the resurrection is the people that spent the most time with Jesus had the hardest time believing he was alive. The same disciples that watched him heal the sick, walk on water, feed the 5,000, turn water into wine, rebuke demons, bring Jairus' daughter back from the dead, bring Lazarus back from the dead, struggle with believing he's risen from the dead. Isn't that amazing how short our memories can be? Jesus spent his entire ministry after he resurrected convincing people he had done what he said he would do. And brothers and sisters, that's symbolic in our personal lives how short our memory is, how short our attention span is that after things start going well for a little while and then they go bad again, we forget all that God has brought us through. We forget all that God has done for us. And then we start giving up. We start turning to our own devices. We get like the disciples in the text at verse 14 that says later he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. New morning light, this, this means that before he showed up, they had eaten a good meal. Before he showed up, that means they were good and relaxed. The, the, the text says they were reclining at the table. That means they were kicked back, legs up, and they were probably talking much trash. Oh, Jesus had us quit our jobs, told us we'd be fishers of men, had us running around the city, delivering folks, healing. Now he gone and we the ones left holding the bag. Mm-hmm. I bet, I, 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 I bet they were drinking that wine, eating that fish and that bread, just talking much trash, brothers and sisters. They didn't know what to do. Remember the disciples, most of them were hiding because they thought that the empire would then come after them to kill them after Jesus. Brothers and sisters, they're thinking, look, now it was all good while he was here. We seemed to have a plan. And I was asking if I could be on his right or left side. Now that he's gone, I'm worried about my life. And brothers and sisters, I'm sure when Jesus showed up, they were so startled. They were so afraid. Because they knew what they had said about it. I'm sure when Jesus showed up, that was the last person they thought they would see. And Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, the text says, rebukes them, calls them out. 
rebukes them, calls out how hard their hearts are. And brothers and sisters, that speaks to the fact that as believers, sometimes we have to be rebuked for our unbelief. Sometimes we have to, 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 to make ourselves aware of the fact that God has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do what he needs to do for us to get where we need to get. And whenever those thoughts creep in, whenever that doubt creeps in, you have to rebuke it. Just like Jesus did. You know what that reminds me of? I came back to let you know. Got a thing for you, and I can't let go. That, 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 that's what Jesus coming back reminds me of, that, that, that he came back to let somebody know that I haven't given up on you, that, that although you're at the table reclining, thinking about how you're going to make it, although you're at the table probably talking much trash, second-guessing why you started this journey with me in the first place, I came back. To let you know I still believe in you and I'm coming back so that you can believe in me. I came back to let you know something. And brothers and sisters, Jesus shows up and God shows up in our lives again, again, and again. Coming back to let us know he has a thing for us. That he believes in us. That he gives us all we need at the time we need it. He just can't let go. This language that Mark uses is not only subject to this passage of scripture. When you see terms such as hardened heart, brothers and sisters, this is the same language that we saw in the Old Testament. This is the same language that we saw back in Exodus 9. You remember when Moses was given the power to perform miracles but God still hardened Pharaoh's heart. And brothers and sisters, the understanding of what God was doing was, was trying to show that he has ultimate control by showing that I can give you the resources and power to change your situation, but I also can cause the issues which make your situations harder. I can be on both ends of the spectrum because I am sovereign. I am all-knowing and all-controlling. I am Alpha and Omega, and he's showing the Egyptian Pharaoh, that although in your tradition, although in your culture, the Pharaoh is considered God, I am God above your gods, and I am God above you. So that language you see, the hardening of the heart, speaks to the aspect of not being able to receive salvation, not being able to receive peace, not being able to receive that aspect of crossing over, brothers and sisters. In Egyptian mythology, they have this understanding that, 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 that when they die, the heart of a person would be weighed on a scale. And it would be weighed on a scale against a feather. And if the heart was heavier than the feather, that means you hadn't lived a righteous life. And only people whose heart was lighter than a feather would be granted salvation. But those whose heart was heavier than the feather would be sent to the underworld and their heart would be eaten by this type of creature that looked like a half crocodile, half jaguar. And brothers and sisters, God is showing that I can beat you by your standards that aren't even Christian, that aren't even Jewish. 
And I can beat you by my standard. He's showing his sovereignty, even relating things back to their culture in which they understand and how that relates to us now, brothers and sisters. Although we don't believe in that Egyptian mythological type of story, that we still sometimes have hardened hearts. Well, we're stubborn. And as Exodus 32 tells us, that stubbornness, that hardness of heart turns into being stiff-necked. And brothers and sisters, you can remember it was the stiff-necked nature of the Israelites that stopped them from entering the promise. It's entering the promised land. And brothers and sisters, what we will see here is that this is a play on words from Mark going to the Old Testament, showing us how you being stiff-necked, showing us how you being hardened of heart will stop you from receiving the promises of God, will stop you from receiving salvation. So that's why God comes back through Jesus Christ and rebukes that spirit because he wants us to have peace. He wants us to have love. He wants us to receive salvation. That's why he comes back. And watch this. After verse, matter of fact, let me go to verse 15. It says, then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news, meaning the good news that Jesus has returned from the dead. It says, preach it to all creation. And it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And brothers and sisters, that is what reveals the underlying thing that God wants us to believe in him. God wants us to trust in him so that we don't keep on wandering around in the wilderness of sorrow. Wandering around in the wilderness of addictions, wandering around in the wilderness of pain, wandering in the ground in the wilderness of wondering where God is. Brothers and sisters, what we've learned to do is love on conditions, meaning our love is transactional. You see, conditional love keeps us in a cycle, like those Israelites that wandered around for 40 years. Conditional love keeps us in that cycle of hurt, heartbreak, and betrayal. This shows us that Jesus, in the text, this conditional love based off of Jesus having to come back and remind them that he would do what he said he would do. This conditional love had to be addressed by Jesus coming back to show them that, hey, I'm here. I've resurrected. I'm coming to do what I told you that I would do. But this shows us that Jesus's closest friends actually gave up on him. That they no longer saw, that since they no longer saw him, they no longer believed in him the same way they did when he was alive. And brothers and sisters, that's discouraging, you would have to imagine, for Jesus. Because the same people that saw him performed all the miracles, the same people that show, saw him show up in other folks' life, have lost sight of the fact that he can show up in their life. Brothers and sisters, let me make that plain for you. When you see Jesus showing up in other people's life, don't get discouraged, but be encouraged that he'll show up in your life. Dr. Warnock used to say when he would preach, if Jesus is in on your street blessing your neighbor, that means he's in the neighborhood. 
So brothers and sisters, if you see your neighbor being blessed, if you see God showing up and they're like, don't get jealous, don't feel left behind, don't be upset, just know that he's in the neighborhood. And brothers and sisters, in the text here, we see that his closest friends has lost sight of who he is and what he said he will do. In the Gospel of Luke, we saw where two men on the road to Emmaus didn't even recognize him. That even once they recognized him and went back to tell the disciples, and then Jesus revealed himself to the disciples in the Gospel of Luke, they still didn't believe him. They thought Jesus was a ghost. Coming down to the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene mistake Jesus for a gardener. And Jesus had to call her name, and then Mary cries out, Rabboni, which means rabbi, which means teacher. And then she runs to him, and he says, oh, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. And then a little bit further along, you have Thomas. Thomas said, I won't believe until I touch the nail marks in his head. I won't believe until I touch the wounds in his side. And, and, and Jesus has to come through a locked door and reveal himself to Thomas and the other disciples and let Thomas touch his hand. Let Thomas touch his side. All that he also that he can believe. Brothers and sisters, all of Jesus's ministry after he resurrected was about getting the people that were closest to him to believe in him. Oh, they don't have the fanfare we have today with the organs going and people falling out and the fans and, and, and people, we, we say, he got up and everyone yells out, with all power, did he, he, Jesus didn't have any of that 2,000 years ago. Jesus had no one that believed he would come back. And we have to be reminded that in spite of that, he still sought them out to bring back their belief. Brothers and sisters, this brings us to this divine question of how many of us are at a point in our lives where we just don't see Jesus? How many of us are at a point in our lives where we've stopped believing in Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this reminds us how because Jesus' closest friends forgot about him, you best believe from day to day, from obstacle to obstacle, you yourself can find yourself forgetting about his power and glory. You see, the ironic aspect of the whole movement from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday is that the people loved him on condition. They loved him on Palm Sunday as long as they thought he would do what they wanted him to do. But when they realized that wasn't ha wouldn't happen, they yelled out, crucify him, crucify him. And he was killed. Not only was he killed, he was left in the tomb. And brothers and sisters, before you rush to condemn them, you must ask yourself the question, how many of us crucify Jesus from day to day? Because Jesus doesn't deliver the way we feel like he should because God doesn't deliver in the way that we want him to. How many of us crucify him in our thoughts, in our actions? How many of us crucify him by turning from God 
and turning to self, turning from God and turning to pleasure, turning from God and turning to people, turning from God and turning to things. How many of us crucify him? Brothers and sisters, that's why the word repent means to turn around. Because the aspect of repenting is us turning back to that which we turned away from. And brothers and sisters, although in the text they yell crucify him, oftentimes we turn away from God and say crucify him in our actions. Brothers and sisters, this is what we call conditional love. That on the conditions of God doing what we want him to do, we love him, we believe in him, but when times get hard, sometimes we get going and we love on condition, we believe on condition, we have faith on condition, but God's love is unconditional. Brothers and sisters, love is the foundational source of most problems in the world. You see, because of love, the economy is affected. How so, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, the economy is affected because if you think about the state of our, our American economy and you look at the fact of how we glorify capitalism and materialistic things, you see that, that love for money, you see that how at the expense of people's lives, how at the expense of us being unified, we will trade those things which are valuable for money because of greed. We see that historically through the slave trade. We see that historically through the land and that concept of manifest destiny that we have the God-given right to expand Western and colonize and bring civilization to uncolonized people that, that, that we put God on it, right? But realistically, it was about making money from taking the resources of people who were already here. Brothers and sisters, greed. Said the root of evil is the love of money. You hear that love in there? Suicide, brothers and sisters. Suicide is an aspect of the absence of self-love. So when people don't feel love, when people feel forlorn, when people are not feeling self-love for themselves, they take their own life. Suicide even has that aspect of love in it. Mass murders. Where people go out and kill a large group of people, studies have shown that most people that are mass murderers, that are serial killers or hit men, at some point in their lives, they've experienced some aspect of trauma as a child. And every time they kill somebody, they're killing whoever harmed them as a child. They, they, they're fighting that love that they didn't receive. Brothers and sisters, that's mass murderers. You see how love plays a role there in divorce, divorce rates, people getting divorced because this person doesn't love me the way I feel like I should be loved. This person doesn't show me the love I thought I should, should have. Love comes in divorce. Hold on, family dynamics. Sometimes it's through those family dynamics, the aspect of us wondering why so-and-so doesn't talk to so-and-so. 
Why our aunt doesn't talk to our cousin or, or why our grandma doesn't really speak to her daughter or her son or, or, or why there's so many different children by so many different men. It's the aspect of looking for love or not being loved the right way. In this aspect of fatherlessness, we see running rampant in the black community where we see black men not knowing how to express love to black women because they haven't seen it. And black women not knowing how to receive love because they haven't seen it. And in many cases, all of us, whether you're a black male or a black woman, are looking for some aspect of how to receive love and how to give love, brothers and sisters. I've counseled so many people in the military specifically, especially young women that talk about how because their fathers were absent in their lives, they don't know how a man should treat them. They don't know how a man should love them. They don't even know how that relationship works because the only example of that they've seen is their mother being with men, men different men looking for love. The young men I talk to are struggling with the aspect of how do I show masculinity? Is it through promiscuity? Is it through how I have an abundance of women? Brothers and sisters, this aspect of love even impacts us to our family unit. Love on condition or love unconditionally is really dictated by how you perceive love, how you've experienced love, and how you give love. I'm gonna kinda switch this around because oftentimes we like to say that your relationship with God will impact your relationship with others. And I'm not saying that's not true, that is true. You know, you hear your vertical relationship with God, with God will impact your horizontal relationship with others, but we can actually reverse that. You can look at the fact of how you treat others really displays how you feel about God. And if you want to have a better relationship with God, work on how you treat others and how you perceive how you're being treated by others. Brothers and sisters, this is how we begin to love unconditionally and move from conditional love to unconditional love when we begin to work through how we've been loved and how we show love and then add the example of God's love. Because once you get an understanding of self and all the mess that, that you've dealt with as it pertains to love when in self, from that we can then move to, well, how does God show me love? And how do I receive love from God? And brothers and sisters, if you want to, want to strengthen your relationship with God, you first need to understand how you love. Because don't think for a second that how you love other people or your perception of love will not impact how you love God. Because the same trust issues you have with people based off of how you feel on, on how they treated you, your mind will subconsciously tap into that mindset when you feel like you can't trust God. And you'll make God the enemy. You'll make God the culprit. You'll start blaming God for things. And brothers and sisters, God is still seeking you, trying to show you I've been faithful in the past. I'm faithful right now. 
and I'll be faithful in your future. And brothers and sisters, God continually shows us that he loves unconditionally and wants us to move from conditional love to unconditional love. You see, the two greatest commandments coming out of Deuteronomy and Matthew 22 are love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And this isn't an either or thing. These things work together because how you love your neighbor shows how you love God. And if you truly love God, it will impact the way you love your neighbor. You see, they work hand in hand. And they oscillate between each other, flowing back and forth between each other. If you want to strengthen your relationship with God, evaluate how you treat God's people. And if you want to treat God's people better, have a better relationship with God. It works in tandem, brothers and sisters, to help us move from conditional love to unconditional love. In all the Gospels, we see where Jesus' closest friends have given up on him, but Jesus didn't give up on them. Jesus' unconditional love carried him through betrayal, death, neglect, to seek out the very people that let him down. This shows us how God seeks us in spite of us. God loves us in spite of us. Will you seek God too? Will you love God too? Or will you be like the disciples and find yourself reclining at the table filled with unbelief and hardness of heart? Brothers and sisters, unconditional love is not transactional. Unconditional love does not always put you in the best position. It doesn't always feel good. You see, unconditional love requires self-sacrifice and selflessness. However, unconditional love does not require us to be naive or remain in situations God did not ordain. I don't want you to take from this that I'm telling you to love people that, or to stay in situations where you're being hurt and you're doing, and someone's doing you wrong. I'm not telling you that. Unconditional love is not being naive. But unconditional love gives you the foundation for having a standard love ethic in which you can treat humanity with a certain level of respect. Where you can stand and say, regardless of how low someone stoops when they interact with me, I will not stoop to that level while interacting with them. Based off the fact that I've seen unconditional love by God, so now I can express unconditional love to God's creation. And brothers and sisters, God's love shows us there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Not death or life. And since that's God's standard of love, we must ask ourselves, what is our standard? We must ask ourselves, what will you do? Do for God's love. Have you tried everything and will you not give up? And in your world, will you only see God? Because brothers and sisters, I came to let you know this Sunday, God has a thing for you. 
and you won't let go. At this time, if there's anyone that's struggling with this aspect of understanding love, and they want to receive true love, you don't have to look for it in people, in substances, in things, in jobs, in money. You don't have to look far. You can look for it in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I charge you at this time, if you really want true love and you really want to experience it, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that his sacrifice atoned for the sins of the world and that he died on the cross but also resurrected and came back, that not only will you be saved, but you'll experience that intimate love that you're longing for. This type of love is unconditional. That means no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how low you've got, no matter things that you've talked about and haven't talked about that you're ashamed of, there's nothing that our Lord and Savior won't do to stay connected to you. I hope this message blesses you, and I pray that it keeps you through the week, and I pray that you use it to evaluate whether or not your love is on condition or unconditional. Keep in mind, here at New Morning Light Baptist Church, we have something in which we say. The love I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. That we are thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. God bless you, and have an awesome Sunday. Amen.